you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, one verse, verse 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yeah, all of you be subject one to another. And notice the statement, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and he giveth grace to the humble. This message was born the other morning. I was reading a devotion by William J., and he made a few comments on that, be clothed with humility, so I want to try to look at that this morning. To know and understand what real humility is, we must have to look to our Lord Jesus Christ. When our Lord came into this earth, he took upon himself human flesh. You know, we, we say that and we read it, but I'm afraid many times we don't hardly even come close to even trying to grasp what that means. That's beyond our little peanut brains. But he humbled himself. When he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. He was the seed of the woman. And Jeff was reading there earlier from Luke chapter 1, where Mary was rejoicing in God, her Savior, that he chose her just like he chose all his elect children. He overshadowed them with his Holy Spirit, and that holy thing that was born in her was the Son of God. And Christ lives in the hearts of his people. To think that he... He that owned and created all things became a man to save his people. God sending his own son, the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Now listen, our Lord humbled himself. He humbled himself. He did this voluntarily. He was not forced. He said, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Nobody takes it from me. I willingly lay it down. And I run across this little article, uh, what's actually there in the, in the bulletin this morning, and I thought it tied in from Scott Richardson. He said he was mocked, cursed, and spit upon, he was cursed, I mean, smitten by, scourged by men, smitten and forsaken of God. He freely and willingly, without reluctance, gave of himself. And he said, Scripture teaches us that neither God nor man forced him. He humbled himself. He humbled himself and became obedient. And he was standing there in the garden. He said, if you come after me, you've got to let these go. And he said, this is their hour. My time has come. That he came to lay down his life for his people. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He voluntarily humbled himself. 
says Philippians 2, 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each of us esteem others better than ourselves. You know, one thing hard for us to do, we don't like being second. We want to be number one. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Remember when our Lord in John chapter 13 when he laid aside his garments and wrapped himself in a towel and got down and washed the disciples' feet, even Judas's. Because he said, you're, you're not all clean, because he knew, and it says in the context, who would betray him. He said he even washed Judas's. Yes, he did. He washed their feet. He said after he had washed their feet, he had taken his garments and was set down again, and he said to them, Do you know what I've just done to you? Do you understand what I've just done? You call me a master and lord, and you say, Well, for so I am your master and lord. If thou then, your lord and master, have washed your feet, you ought, to, you ought also to wash one another's feet. Now, that's not saying we do that literally. But we, by God's grace, with the word of God, which is the water of the word, wash each other's feet. Our, tire, our feet get so tired and dusty and dirty walking in this old world. And you can imagine, when he was done, that towel was probably just muddy looking. Where he had washed, he did. He took the form of a servant. And can you imagine, what in the world is he's doing? They knew who he was. But why would he do this? He said, for I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that sent greater than he that sent me. Now, notice this statement. If you know these things, if you know these things, happy are you if you do these things. And we know this is not literally, we know some take it literally. You know, they try to be humble. You can't, be, you can't make yourself humble. That's an impossibility. He's humility. Let, let this mind be in you which was in Christ. But as I read verse 7, I just happened to read another article 
and there was not room to put it in the bulletin. I may put it next week, but it was just so happened. It was taken from verse 7 of that text, and it was by Frank Tate. And he entitled it, How to Be Happy. Now listen, bless my heart. Everyone is always seeking ways to make themselves happy. For the believer, the way to be happy is simple, humble yourselves to serve others. The Savior had just humbled himself to do the job of the lowest servant and wash the disciples' feet. Our Lord taught by example that his people are to seek ways to serve one another. So to be happy is not to seek to be served. It's to seek to serve. It's not happy by getting. It's happy by giving. You imagine what he... And he did it willingly, willingly, as the lowest servant. You know, that's so beyond us. That's so against our will because because we inherited it from Adam. We're so filled with pride, pride. He goes on to say, for the believer, the way to be happy is not to fuss and fight in order to get my way. For the believer, the way of happiness is to give in so that there is peace and unity in the church. Isn't that so true? Isn't that so true? For the believer, the way of happiness is not setting others, is not getting others to do for me and to serve me. For the believer, the way of happiness is to find ways, find ways to serve others. Boy, wouldn't we be happy? I want to be happy. <laughs> that way, happy. This is the lesson our Savior teaches. It is a simple lesson that everyone understands. We do know these things, but we'll be happy if we do those things. We know those things. And only God, listen, only God can enable us to do those things. And he did. And he did. There are several garments that are mentioned in the scriptures in which God's children appear in these garments. The first one we'll look at is please, he would be clothed with humility. Then we'll look at the garments of praise and then the zeal as a cloak. God's children, above all people, should never... Be proud, never, but humble. Who makes you to differ? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you glory as if thou hast not received it? Everything we have, everything. Who gave it to you? He did. You didn't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. <laughs> He gave it to you. Who in the world makes us to differ? Some examples. Once we were poor, and now we're made rich. Once we were in a state of spiritual nakedness, now we're clothed. Once we, we were separated from God, now we're made nigh by the blood of Christ. 
once we were condemned. And now we're pardoned. Listen, what is it to be clothed with humility? Now listen, the word to be clothed, is this is the only place in the scriptures that it's ever used. It means to string or to loop or to fasten a garment. Men were to clothe themselves with the lowliness of mind, to fasten it tied around them like a garment so that they might never fall into pride. Pride. Isn't it ironic that we that our text is from Peter? This is a man that wrote from experience, Lord, they all may leave you, but not me. Not Peter, not the rock. Did he? Oh, yeah, he did. And it had to happen. You know why? God taught that old fisherman some humility. Some humility. But what this has reference to was the long white apron or outer garment that was worn by the common slave. It's how identified them. You wore that garment, they say, they're a servant. They're wearing the garment of a servant. Clothed with what? Humility. Do you know some historians say that some of the early Christians actually sold themselves into slavery so they could minister and preach to slaves. That's clothed with humility. You imagine that. What would make a person do that? Grace. You think you think of Paul. He said, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. He never said, I'm the prisoner of Rome. I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm Paul the apostle, the servant, the bond slave of Jesus Christ. I do this willingly. And they sent him to Rome in chains. But as he sat in that prison cell, he preached to that man. And those men in Caesar's household heard the gospel because Paul was a servant. He was clothed with humility. With humility. God give us that grace. God give us that grace. If we would live in the world for the glory of God serving one another, we must constantly clothe ourselves with humility, asking God to give us the mind of Christ. Mr. Fortner said to be clothed with humility is to consciously and with deliberate purpose walk before God acknowledging who and what you are before him and before your brethren. You know who I am? I'm your pastor. You know what that pastor means? I'm your servant. You say, oh, no, you're the greatest in the church. Oh, no, I'm the servant of all. I'm your servant. Sent here to serve you. And I pray God, like this morning, I hope he give me a message for you. That I may serve you and your eternal soul for his glory. Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another. 
and forgiving one another. If any have a quarrel against even any, even as Christ forgave you, so also you do. Paul said in Ephesians 1, 4, verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. We all have sin. We, we, bear, we have to bear one another's burdens. You know, it's, pride is just so deceitful. You know, with all everything that's happened with the coronavirus, it is, it's just sad to see how it's, it's, it's broke up churches, it's broke up families, and they still just won't forgive. All they do is just keep talking about it. Why don't somebody take the initiative and say, if I offended you, would you forgive me? I'm, I'm so sorry. My big mouth just gets me in trouble all the time. What right did I have to say anything? My opinion just don't matter. What matters is the Lord's opinion. But see how it just enters in. 1 Peter 3, 4. Peter, again, chapter 3, verse 1, I mean, verse 4. He talked about women wearing the, uh, you know, wanting to wear gold and jewelry and, and apparel. They want to, they, they're clothed in what? These, they want to be seen. They want to be seen of men. He said, don't let it be that, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. Meekness. A quiet spirit, calm, which is in the sight of God of, of great price. You know why? He gave it. He gave it. So that's to be clothed with humility. Now the garments of praise. In Isaiah 61, verse 3, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. This is the garment of clothing, of clothing which shall be expressive of praise or gratitude instead of that of grief. The scripture says the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's like what you read. You know what, you know what she's doing, Mary's doing in, in Luke chapter 1 after she goes to Elizabeth's house? She's praising the Lord. She's praising him. And you see humility there. Why, why, would, he, why would he pick her? Why, out of all the women in Israel, why would he pick her? Why would he allow her to be born of the house and lineage of David? Why pick her? Why does he pick anybody? It's by grace. And she knew it. He humbled her. And I think humility leads to praise. It's hard to praise when you're filled with pride. It's almost impossible. The garments of praise. Praise. Down in verse 10, uh, verse 10 of Isaiah 61. 
I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Watch this, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's praising one that clothed him. You imagine the garments of salvation. They're pure, they're white, without spot or blemish or any such thing. That's how his bride is. <laughs> he hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. How did she get any jewels? That's the jewels of grace. It's not time to mourn at a wedding. It's not a time of death. It's a wonderful union. When Lori got married, it wasn't a time of mourning. We celebrated. We were rejoicing. We were happy for her and her husband. We were happy, still happy for him. Praising our Lord for bringing them together. Praising him for bringing us here and marrying us. Why would he be married unto us? Now listen. God gave marriage. He ordained it in the garden. He gave it as a picture of him being married to his church. No more twain, but one flesh. And only God can do that. Now you think with me. He was God. He never, he never ceased being God. He walked out and said to the storm, peace, be still. He could raise the dead. He was never ceased to be God. But when he was born, he married together divine and humanity together. And they can never be separated. You think about that. There is a man in glory. That body that God prepared him, he gave that body. He shed his blood. He raised that body. And with that same body, he sits at the right hand of the Father. He's the God-man that's sitting there at the right hand of the Father. And we praise him for what he has done. Rejoice in the Lord O ye righteous, for praise is comely. It is comely. What that saying is, praise is beautiful. <laughs> Jeff asked me, I'm going to use him all morning, I guess, as the illustration. But when he read that there from Murray, he said, what song, psalm is that? And I thought he was talking about some psalm in, in the book of Psalms. And I never remembered that it was Mary singing. It was Mary's song. And, you know, you think about some of the, I know David wrote most of the Psalms, but some of the other, some of the greatest songs in the scriptures that were written or sung were by women. Hannah, Moses' sister, Miriam, when they come through the they sung, oh, they praised God for his glory and his grace. And, and, and you can see Mary, she just, her heart's just leaping with praise. Why would he do this for me? He had turned the rich away. To us, he's shown mercy. Mercy. Praise is beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful. Entering to his gates with what? Thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Listen to this from the song. 
You probably know it well. Praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Sing ye saints his wonderful love proclaim. Hail him, hail him, highest archangel in glory. Strength and honor give to his holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will feed his children. In his arms, he carries them all day long. Praise him, praise him. Tell, tell of his excellent greatness. Praise him, praise him, ever in joyful song. Oh, for the, to have the garment of praise. This time we're so down and out and discouraged. Like when they asked the children of Israel, said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. It's hard to sing. They said, they hung their hearts on the willow. said, it's hard to sing in a strange land. But when Paul and Silas were beaten for preaching the gospel, instead of, their, instead of them sitting there in that cell complaining and moaning, you know, you can imagine the pain. It was probably some dark, damp cell. And they're sitting there in chains, bleeding, but at midnight, one of them or the other said, why don't, we, why don't we just praise God and thank him for what he's done? And so they begin to pray and sing praises unto the Lord, and God shook the whole place. <laughs> and the other ones heard him, heard him. You imagine, I can, I can imagine people in there groaning, you know, and just probably some people are cursing, you know. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And the jailer ran in and said, what must I do to be saved? What would make someone do that? I know what, grace. They're, they're not then there to serve themselves. They're there by God's will and his providence to serve someone else. And they did. <laughs> And they did. Too many, many times as children of God, we're under a sense of our own sin and we feel such a load of guilt and our hearts are heavy and we are cast down. As I mentioned Hannah's song there in 1 Samuel 2, the Lord looked on that woman and he gave her a son. And you know what she said? She didn't ask for a son just so she'd have a son. That's selfish. She said, you give me a son. And I'm going to give him back to you. How many would do that? That's what she did. And, then, you know, it's easy to say that before I have the son, but now that she has the son, she says, I'm going to give him back. And here's what she said. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. And then lastly, zeal as a cloak. Isaiah, 
can't even see my note. I think it's 50 verse 17. 59 verse 17. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and as a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garment of vengeance for clothing. And he was clad with zeal as a cloak. We know that's talking about our Lord. Our Lord was clothed with humility and he's clothed us with humility. When we realize who we are and what the Lord has done for us, we'll praise him for everything. For everything. And you know what it'll do? It will cause us to serve others. And we will do it. And we will serve him willingly. Zeal is a cloak. This is like the slave's garment. You know why a slave or a servant wore those garments? That's what he worked in. I have old clothes at home. Sandy brought me a shirt the other day. It's second-handed, but it was still a nice shirt. Here I go out in the garage, and I'm doing some painting. Now come in, I've got gray strips of paint on that shirt. She was not too happy. <laughs> you know why? Those, that was not, she said, you've got work shirts. Why are you not wearing one? These garments were work clothes. That was what they did. They worked. I've seen Danny with his overalls on. That's what he works in. He's got boots he works in. Those are his work clothes. These, this zeal is a cloak. This was their work clothes. This is what they worked in. Slave garments. When the Lord appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And he never got over being a servant. The man who flaunts about in gay clothing of self-conceit is usually slow to put his hand to the work in anything which will not advance his reputation or will soul his bravery. Fine clothes and hard work usually don't go together. It'd be like somebody, you know, as I used to work men, be like one of them showing up one morning and we're going to work in a shop or whatever, and it was real, very dusty with a suit on. <laughs> He's out of place. He don't have the right clothes on. He didn't come to work. We'd come to work. <laughs> and you know what? That's what the Lord sent them to do. He humbled them, they praised him, and he sent them to work. Our Lord said, what you, when you went out to see John the Baptist, what did you go out to see? What did you, what did you go out expecting to see? Oh, probably somebody, you know, probably like the Pharisees, you know. He's got a long robe, and he's got his flack if he's on, and he, and he wants everybody to know that he's somebody. If, he, if they had collars, his would have been turned around backwards. And he said, is that what you went out to see, a man in soft raiment? Those who wear soft raiments are in king's houses. He had a leather girdle about his loin. I bet his hair, it's untelling what it looked like. He'd come out of the wilderness, he looked like a wild man. You know what he did? You know why he had that leather girdle? That was his work clothes. You know what he was saying? 
Looky there, looky there. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And his zeal got his head cut off. He walked in there to Herod and he said, you're wrong to have that woman as your wife. That's your brother's wife and it's wrong. And she had him killed. He didn't care. He was there to serve God. He wasn't afraid. He was there. I thought about in Psalm 69.9, this speaking of our Lord. For the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. In John chapter 1, you know, he brings us to how the, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Then he performed the first miracle there in the first part of chapter 2, turning the water into wine. And then you know what he did? He goes to the temple. That's his father's house. Jeffrey, can you imagine walking into your daddy's house? And your daddy's gone, maybe he's gone on a trip, or you and your wife's gone, you're on a trip. And Jeffrey comes in, somebody's in there messing it up. He's in there making a mess on Jeff's stove and just, just swinging his refrigerator and he's just putting, getting stuff everywhere. This is our daddy's house. You imagine what our Lord thinks when he goes in his father's house. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple. I don't think he's laughing about it. He's saying, you get that stuff out of here that has no place in here. This is my father's house. And he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the, money, the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And the disciples remembered Psalm 69, 9, that it was written, The zeal of thine house has consumed me. You know why he did that? He was had the zeal of the cloak of zeal upon him. He said, This is my father's house. I'm here to serve him, and you're not. Get that stuff out of here. And they remembered it. It consumed him. He came to honor his father, and that's what he did. And that's what he did. Lord, give us zeal for the salvation of others. We give you a couple of examples in Back, as I've already mentioned, in John chapter 1, John had disciples. And he pointed to them and said, This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John 1 verse 40, And one of the two which heard John speak, two of John's disciples, and one of them heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And you know what he did? He first findeth his own brother Simon, and he said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. He wasn't nothing about him. He didn't think about him. And then he just had seen the Lord. He wants somebody else to see. And then in verse 43, he's not done. The day following. Jesus would go forth into Galilee 
and he goes into Galilee, and he finds, he finds Philip. And he said unto Philip, follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, his brother, and he saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip just, he didn't argue with him. He said, Why don't you come and see? Isn't it amazing the Lord saved four men from Bethsaida? He saved four servants. He said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. Now this zeal that Philip had and Andrew is not some just strange fire. This is not something that's worked up in the flesh. It's just what religion does, you know. Well, we're going to have us a revival meeting every spring and every fall, and we're going to get people all fired up and stirred up, and and that's all it is. It's just it don't it won't last. It burns out. Now it may it may flame up real quick. It's like dead wood. Yeah, it burns real quick, but it don't last long. Paul said, "I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but it's not according to knowledge." Paul told the Corinthians, he said, Your zeal hath provoked very many or encouraged very many. As Kurt read, that he said, I know that you're the elect of God, those Thessalonians. He said, You turn to God from your idols to serve the living and true God. He said, You become an example. Example of, I said, Do you know what that church is doing? Look, look what that church has done. You know what most people say? Well, look what they're doing. It is nothing but flesh anyway. Right. If it's of the Lord, it'll last. If it's not of God, it will come to nothing. But they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Here's what Paul said to the weak. Became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Did you see that? I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. What do you mean all means? Reminds me of four men. They were going to bring their friend to Christ. And they get to the house wherever our Lord was at, and I can just see a whole crowd of people standing outside, and the house is full. And they said, Jeff, how are we going to get our friend to the Lord? I guess it's not God's will. Let's turn back and go back home, Danny. One of them said, I believe I got an idea. Let's get up on the roof. On the roof? <laughs> yeah, if we, if, we, if we can get our friend to the Lord, maybe he'll show him mercy. And they get up there and they start pulling the roof off. You know, it was probably like thatch or whatever it was, grass or something. It wasn't shingles or anything. And, and can you imagine when they start tearing it off? I guarantee stuff started falling out, and it got everybody's attention. I bet you could have heard a pin drop, and then all of a sudden, it took four men. Three couldn't have let him down. Two couldn't have, and I know one man couldn't. Every one of them had a side, and they got to let him down together at the same time. 
They're all working for one goal and one objective. It's to get their friend to Christ. And when he come down, you know what the Lord said? When he saw their faith, he said, your sins be forgiven you. Rise up and walk. But they brought their friend to Christ. God, give me that much zeal. If I had to take a roof off, take a roof off. Paul, when he was on that ship, God saved everybody that was on that ship. Protected them. Protected them. Our Lord said in John 4, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, are ready to harvest. And you remember, you've heard me say this many times, Remember, he sent the disciples into town to uh, get something to eat. And while they're gone, he deals with this Samaritan woman. He opens her eyes. He got, got her alone with him, made himself known. And about that, just as he's done dealing with her and opens her eyes and sets her free, I can see her just kind of back out of the way. And here come the disciples. Boy, they're just tickled to death. We've got us some food. We're going to sit down and eat. And they said, Lord, here, here's something. Sit down, eat, eat, eat. I want to eat, and I'm not going to eat in front of you. You need to eat, sit down, sit eat. He said, I got meat to eat that you don't know anything about. My meat is to do the will of God that sent me. I didn't come here to eat. <laughs> I come here to save that woman, and I'm going to save some of them in that town. And you know what? Those disciples went into town and never brought one person to our Lord. He's outside the city, sitting out there beside the well, right there where he met that woman. He's right where he's at, where they left him. You know what they were interested in? Eating. They were interested in their own belly. And our Lord speaks to them, and he looks out over the field. And you know what that woman did? You know what she did? She went, This what's amazing, it was a woman. And she probably had a reputation. That's why she come to the well at noon, not early in the day. She didn't want anybody to be there. She goes into the town, and she said, there's somebody out there at the well you need to go see. He's the Messiah. And while the disciples sitting there, probably sitting there eating, he said, you see them coming? The fields are quite ready to harvest. We don't know how many came. And they said, we believe because we heard you. Now we've heard him ourselves and believe. You know what he did? He stayed there for two whole days. But what I'm saying is, sometimes we get so busy just buying the groceries. We get so busy just thinking about our own bellies that we, we don't even bring one person to our Lord. But boy, that woman did. I could see her leading them. Go, where's he at? Well, you just follow me. I'll take you to him. They woke up and they said, this is him. May God stir our hearts to serve him. No matter what everybody else does, we're here. We're going to serve him. We're going to honor him. We're going to praise him. And God help us. God clothe us with humility. You know, if he clothes us with humility, it won't matter what anybody thinks. We're not here to impress anybody. 
We're not in competition with anybody. We're here because God's brought us here to preach his gospel and to honor him. Amen.